You are listening to the Sunday Sermon from Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Washington. To learn more about Crossroads, visit us on our website at cbcbellevue.com. Good morning, Crossroads. Many of you are back in person for the first time. We saw that in our nine o'clock worship gathering, and it was amazing, even fuller than this one. And I've noticed there's a lot of chairs available in the front row. So if anyone wants to join me up close next week, make sure that you fill the front. I'd love to see you. And you just need to bring an umbrella. There'll be a little spittle and things like that, but that, that's okay. You'll be closer to where the action is. I'm going to be available with my wife, Lori, and some of our leaders at the Welcome Center right after this worship gathering. If you're a first-time guest, we would love to have the privilege of meeting you and being able to get to know you and even pray with you. I'm grateful that you're here if you're a first-time guest today, and I'm so glad that so many of you are coming back in person. It's been said that there are two things that are certain in this life, death and taxes. Now, the reality is some evade taxes, but that's a whole nother story. It's been said that there are two things that are eternal in this life, God's word and people. Now, if that's true, and it is, how should we live for eternity? What should our priorities be? What should be most important to us? When we think about eternity, we recognize the fact that God's word is eternal. People like you and me are eternal. And everything else is going to disappear. The Apostle Paul is going to talk to us today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 about how to live with eternity in mind. And the question he's going to pose is, in light of eternity, eons from now, how would we want our life to have been lived during this brief sojourn on planet Earth? I would suggest we fast forward to the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand before Christ and give an account of our lives and our ministry, and we ask, how do we want to appear? How do we want to give an account of our lives? And then we just simply live our lives backward from that day. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us in no uncertain terms, we can ultimately impact our tomorrow, our showing at the judgment seat, by starting today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20, Paul is going to tell us how to prepare well for eternity. And he does so by sharing with us two ways that we can express thanks to God for blessings that he gives. The first is found in verses 13 through 16. Paul is going to say that we need to thank God for his work through his word. Paul is saying God's word is not just for the purpose of information, but transformation. That all life change occurs through God's word. It's the greatest of all gifts. In verse 13, Paul pens a very long and yet potent verse. For this reason, in other words, what Paul is about to say, 
we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Paul immediately starts by saying, Thessalonians, I'm thankful that you have received the word of God. This is an objective response. To receive means to hear with the ear. It means the Thessalonians heard the good news of Jesus Christ and then they received it with joy and immediately acted upon it. He then uses a different verb, the verb accept. It's a hospitality term. To welcome into one's home. Think back to your last blessing of hospitality, perhaps even from someone in our church. They had you into their home. They rolled out the red carpet and you felt loved. Maybe you even felt like royalty. Paul says the Thessalonians received and accepted the word of God, not as a word from people, but from God. That's how we as Crossroads should receive and accept God's word, as a word from God. And I want you to see in verse 13, Paul says that the word of God was able to perform its work. Do you see that phrase? It's one word in the original text. And it's a verb that we get our term energize from, our noun energy. The idea is, in the midst of the Thessalonians' persecution, all that they experienced, being rejected by family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, they still experienced the power of God's word working in them and then through them in the midst of great persecution. What will energize us? What will empower us? The word of God. The word of God is what will help those of us who are going through tests, trials, and tragedies at this moment to endure. Furthermore, coming out of COVID, going into what may be a recession, what are we going to need more than anything? God's word. Now, of course, we all know this. Not only do we know this, most people in our country at least give the nod of assent and they verbalize, yes, reading the Bible is important. At our last men's breakfast, Pastor Mark Fournier said that the most important thing a Christian can do for their health and growth is to read the word of God. I agree with Pastor Mark. So does our culture. But do you know what's happened in the midst of COVID? We've lost 26 million Bible readers. We are now in 2022 at the lowest place for Bible reading since we've been keeping statistics. We were steady for the past 10 years. COVID, which should have drawn us into greater intimacy and greater passion for the word, actually tanked us. We are now in a vulnerable and fragile place as individuals and as the American church. What should have broken us 
actually caused us to leave our moorings. So what can we do about it? We all know there's a problem. We can begin by simply asking the Lord for a greater appetite for his word. In Job chapter 23, verse 12, Job declared, I have treasured your word more than my necessary food. Oh, I love this because I like to eat. And almost every Christian I know likes to eat often too much. I tell people I work out to simply be able to eat what I want and as much as I want. That's it. If I love food, the question that becomes, do I love God's word more than my daily food? Can I echo Job's words? When you think about your coffee and your food, can you honestly say you love God's word more than your eating and your drinking? There are times when I have to ask myself that question and I don't like the answer. So you know what I've been doing for many, many years? Praying Job 23 verse 12. Write that down. Job 23 verse 12. Start praying it every single day. And here's what you can do. If you have two or three, maybe four or five cups of coffee, pray that prayer. It'll take five seconds. Whenever you sit down to eat a meal, or for some of us, multiple snacks a day, you pray Job 23, verse 12. And you ask God to ultimately desire and to delight in his word as your daily food more than even the pleasure you have from eating and drinking. Secondly, don't read scripture merely as a soloist. The reason that so many of us struggle in our commitment to God's word is we've never asked anyone to help us along the way. If you work out at all, or even if you walk or do any type of sporting activity that sometimes you don't want to do, you find someone to do it with. My 21-year-old daughter is now a certified personal trainer, and she can pump it up. So as an old guy, I'm now looking to her, she's 30 years younger than me, to train me. So we go to the gym together, and she tells me what to do, and she spots me, and she watches my form and things like that, because I need that. I need to be pushed. I need to be inspired and challenged. Now, if that's true in the physical realm, how much more so is that true in the spiritual realm? Plug into a small group today. We have community groups that are available to you. We have men's and women's Bible studies. We have discipleship groups for the next gen. Don't assume you can read scripture and study scripture on your own. You'll falter and fail. Now, you may be saying, Keith, I'm not into groups. I'm an introvert. I know you talked about introverts last week, but I'm a true introvert. I don't want to be involved in a group. First of all, pray about it. But if you're not ready to take that step today, ask one person to help you in your spiritual workouts. Ask just one person to check in with you to find out if you're reading God's word. Because if we truly believe at Crossroads Bible Church that simply reading the word will change our worldview, how we think, how we function, 
we've got to be about it. We've got to be about preparing for our tomorrow by starting today. Now in verse 14, we're going to see Paul's explanation as to why, again, he's so pumped about the Thessalonians. He says, for you, brethren and sisteren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. What Paul says is, this church in Thessalonica, a Gentile church, they came out of idolatry and paganism that had only been Christians for a short amount of time. Some would say weeks, maybe a couple of months. And then Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were run out of town and the church had to fend for itself. These believers, these believers became imitators of Jewish churches that experienced persecution and suffering. These baby Christians became imitators and worthy of imitation. Now, what's interesting is it's their countrymen and their countrywomen who are ultimately coming against them. That means those who are closest to them, those people that they used to count on, those people are now coming against them. They're opposing them because they've named the name of Jesus Christ. Yet they still were willing to say, we will be imitators of other churches that are following in the footsteps of the suffering Savior, the Lord Jesus. That is so inspiring to me. I want Crossroads to be that type of church. I want us to be courageous. I want us to be bold. I want us to be willing to count the cost and make a difference in our community and amongst other churches. That Crossroads Bible Church would be worthy of imitation. How do we go about that? We need to seek to hang out with bold people. Now, as I look around, as I scan this worship center, I see some bold Christians. Now, not all of us are bold. I get that. But if you're not bold, hang out with some bold believers and just observe them. And their boldness will inevitably rub off on you. Now, maybe you're saying, Keith, I don't know any bold believers. Well, I'll tell you this much. You know some bold unbelievers. Find out what they're doing. How are they propagating their message and their worldview? Because they do it well. And I'm simply saying, if they can be bold, why can't we be bold? We've got the eternal word of God. May we be bold by hanging out with those who are bold. Secondly, study the persecuted church. Do you want to be inspired? Do you want to be motivated? Study the persecuted church. The church in India, China, North Korea, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, the list goes on and on and on. Find out why they are willing to sacrifice their very lives if necessary. Read their stories. 
Share their stories with your children and grandchildren. When people ask me, why are you so on fire for the Lord? The first thing I tell them is, I'm a student of the persecuted church. That's it. My parents raised me to be a student of the persecuted church. So I've never thought about just a local church. I've thought about the global church. And I have a passion for what God is doing in other parts of the world. So when I get discouraged with my own spiritual life or with our spiritual lives, I look at what God is doing throughout the world. A week from today, we're going to have a standalone sermon on the persecuted church. November 6th, we'll be celebrating the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. Don't miss that Sunday if you can help it. And we will be inspired once again by our sisters and brothers throughout the world. I'm thankful that Crossroads is a global church, that we care about the persecuted church and that we have global outreach partners that are being used by God powerfully. But many of us, myself included, we need to be more informed and we need to allow their lives to transform our spiritual lives. We can shape tomorrow by starting today. And it begins by the word of God and prayer. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to hit upon two verses that are very controversial. So if you like controversy, and most people do, you've come to the right place this morning. Verses 15 and 16 are two verses that are most commonly used to argue that the Apostle Paul is anti-Semitic. Now, it's hard for me to say that with a straight face because... The Apostle Paul is Jewish, and he is called in Philippians 3, a Hebrew of Hebrews. This man loved the Jewish people. Nonetheless, there are those that look at these verses, and they misunderstand Paul's intent. But I'll let you be the judge. So verses 15 and 16 are a carryover from verse 14. Paul has said that Jewish churches, the churches of Judea, are being persecuted by Jews. He uses them as an illustration of the Gentiles who are persecuting the Thessalonians. In verses 15 and 16, Paul writes, These Jewish people who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, they are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all people, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Let me be clear, as Paul is clear, Jewish leaders did have Jesus crucified, verse 15. Some Jewish leaders did kill the prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Some Jewish people did run Paul, Silas, and Timothy out of Thessalonica after they planted the church. But that doesn't mean all Jewish people are hostile to the gospel. See, let's remember, Paul is a Jewish man. The Judean churches that are worthy of imitation, they're made up of Jewish people. Who is God's chosen people? The Jewish people. Paul is simply saying there are some Jewish leaders and Jewish people who reject Jesus Christ 
as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's true not just of Jewish people, that's true of Gentile people. Gentiles are simply non-Jewish people. So the world consists of Jews and Gentiles. And Paul says, those that reject the Lord are living on borrowed time. And you can see that in verse 16. He uses a term, fill up. Do you see that term? Or a similar term? This exact verb is used in Genesis 15, verse 6 of the Amorites who have sin that is filling up. And eventually God is going to judge them when their sins have accumulated to such an extent that he drops the hammer. See, the world believes that they have all the time. That they can just relax and chill. There's no sense of urgency. And yet scripture teaches the exact opposite. Today is the day of salvation. We are not promised tomorrow. One day God's wrath will be poured out. Now please understand, God's wrath is not him flying off the handle and screaming and slapping people around. That, that is not his wrath. His wrath is his inevitable, natural response to sin. It's his justice being carried out on the sin of humankind. I have here a container of rice. This container represents your body. You're totally depraved. I'm totally depraved. We're born into original sin. We started committing sin within a few months of entering this world. And so you have a lot of sin in this container. But I want you to note this. This is the rest of our lives. We just continue to sin and sin and sin in word, in deed, in thought, in motive, in attitude. We sin and sin and sin, and we start filling ourselves up with sin. And eventually, God's patience, it will run out. Every person will be judged for their sin. But you can be delivered and rescued from your sin by trusting in the sinless one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. For 33 years, he died on a cross. For what? For sin. And then he demonstrated he was God by rising from the dead. And now Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, and he is praying at this very moment for you to believe in him as your Savior. And all you have to do is give him your sin, and he will not pour out his justice, his wrath on your sin. Why? Because he's already poured it out on Jesus. So you have a decision today. If you've never trusted in Christ, you can either be punished for your sin, you can receive God's wrath, or you can be pardoned by trusting in Jesus Christ, your Savior from sin.
please embrace Jesus. Please don't delay. There's no good reason to delay. If you have questions that you still need answered, please ask the questions. But often we don't find answers to some of our intellectual questions until we believe in Christ. It requires taking that first step. And God begins to download all kinds of truth into your mind, into your heart, into your life. Think about your tomorrow because your tomorrow will be eternal. Think about your tomorrow today. Paul has said, I am thankful for God's work through his word. His word is not just informative, it is transformative. It is what allows us to live our lives and to have hope in this life and beyond the grave. Now in verses 17 through 20, he says, thank God for the work of his people. Paul says, what I am most excited about outside of God's word is people, particularly people that I have shared Christ with who are going to be one day my reward in eternity. Verse 17 is beautiful. But we, brothers and sisters, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Previously, in chapter 2, verses 7 through 12, Paul had likened himself to being a mother and then a father. Now he likens himself to being a child, being an orphan where he is taken away from the church that he loves. In fact, our English word orphan comes from this Greek phrase. You see that Greek phrase in verse 17? Paul says, taken away. Other English versions will translate it differently. He says, even though he's not with them in person, he's with them in spirit. Now, this is not for the purpose of those that are watching online. This is not a proof text. However, if you are not able to watch on, if you are not able to be here in person, we understand. But if the Lord is prompting you to return, we want you to return. Not just be with us in spirit, be with us in person. Now, Paul says, I am more eager with great desire to be with you, Thessalonians. The term eager has to do with haste. It has to do with hurrying and doing something quickly. And listen carefully. The word desire is most frequently translated lust in the New Testament. And that's negative. Here he's using it positively. He's saying, I yearn for you. I long for you. Now, I don't want to get awkward here. But Paul is saying, I have this affection that is healthy and godly just to be with you, to be with you in person, to be able to embrace you, to be able to speak affirming words to you. Do you have that kind of love for Crossroads Bible Church? I need you to really wrestle with that issue. It's been said, if absence makes the heart grow fonder, some people are very fond of the church. When you can't be at church in person, do you breathe a sigh of relief? Are you like, yes? 
Or does it hurt your heart? Do you feel like a spiritual orphan because you're not with your sisters and brothers? Do you have this desire and this longing to be with God's people? I have that. Now you may be saying, Keith, you're paid to have that. (laughs) No, it's a part of how God creates disciples. And you can have that. And you should have that. And if you don't have that, check your spiritual pulse. Something is wrong. At Crossroads, it's not going to be acceptable to not have a passion for the church. Those that are not passionate about the church, they're going to feel a little strange because everyone at Crossroads is going to be excited, not just about Crossroads, but about the global church. That's my aim. That's my desire. And I'm not stopping until we see that take place. In verse 18... Paul gives us the real deal. Verse 17 was the ideal. Verse 18 is the real deal. For we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Highlight that word hindered or blocked. Paul wanted to return multiple times and Satan hindered him. He blocked him from going back to Thessalonica. This term is a military metaphor. It was used of armies who broke apart roads so that opposing armies could not engage them in warfare. Do you know what the term Satan means? Adversary. Enemy. Paul takes a military metaphor and he spiritualizes it because we're in a battle. This is a battleground, not a playground. We're not playing anymore. We're going into a season as a church that in 2023 is going to be very, very difficult if people are correct. And I'm like a Navy SEAL. I'm preparing for the worst and expecting the best. That's what we have to do. And that means we're in the word, we're in prayer, and we're in fellowship And we realize that Satan is going to seek to hinder us. If you recognize that you are a threat to hell, we need to take Satan's hindering as a great compliment. If you're not under attack right now, it's because Satan is not threatened by you. He's not threatened by me. We tend to get discouraged because of all the satanic attack. And it's difficult. I'll be the first to admit. But it's a compliment if our church is being attacked and you're being attacked personally because Satan only invests along with his demons in those that are a threat. He's not omnipresent. He has to pick and choose. But whatever enters into your life, God ordained or permitted. Satan has no power apart from what God grants. I like what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. That's how sovereign God is. Yes, Satan is on a long leash. I'll be the first to admit that. But God has him collared and he is still holding that leash. 
And the Apostle John says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, Satan. I can't tell you all the details of my personal life because I would break down. I will say this. Lori and I and our family have never been under such spiritual attack. Every member of our family has been attacked. Even our dog, who is passing kidney stones. My dad went to the ER this weekend. Our children are under significant attack. And a part of the reason, even though I don't understand all the reasons, is because of what God is doing at Crossroads Bible Church. And not only because of what God is currently doing, but what he wants to do. He wants to perform a work that completely compromises what we are seeking to do at Crossroads and what God wants to do. And we have to simply rebuke the devil. But what we do is we don't rebuke him. We ask Jesus to rebuke him because we're not strong enough. Lord Jesus, rebuke Satan. That's what Michael the archangel who took Lucifer or Satan's place did in Jude verse 9. He rebuked Satan through the Lord Jesus Christ. Please understand that we're in a war and it's not going to get any easier. So what we have to do is we need to prepare for our tomorrow today and that means being willing to defend ourselves against the enemy. Verses 19 and 20 are two of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. They're ones that I quote regularly. And I would say they may be the two most beautiful verses about the local church in the entire New Testament. Listen to these words. Paul exclaims, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? And this is emphatic. You in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming for you are our glory and joy. Paul says about the church that he saw trusting Christ through his ministry. You're our glory. You're our hope. And then twice he says, you're our joy. You mean everything to us. He even says they are his crown, his crown of boasting, rejoicing, exultation. In other words, Paul's not talking about his accolades. He's not talking about his accomplishments. He's talking about people because people are eternal. People are Paul's reward. We understand this if we're parents. When our first child is born or when multiple children are born, we get so excited. We pass on statistics. We pass on pictures and pictures and pictures and pictures to siblings, to grandparents, to uncles, to aunts, and everyone gets excited. Oh, she has her father's chin. She has her mother's eyes. And then there's more and more and more pictures. There's social media, and we just spread it. We get so excited. 
Paul gets excited about spiritual children. He's in love with the local church and he affirms them. I've said this plenty of times, but it bears repeating. One of the primary reasons we are here in person today is to affirm and encourage one another. You cannot do that online well. You can try texting and emailing and being on social media. That is done when you grab someone's arm or you shake someone's hand or you embrace someone and you speak life-giving words over the person in their presence. You can't do that any other time. And I want you to hear something very important. That's one of the primary reasons we worship in person. Because there are people carrying burdens in their marriage, in their family, in their singleness, in their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health that they can't bear on their own. They need you. They need you to affirm them. They need you to help them to press on. And we have that privilege. Do not leave today without seeking to affirm one person a person who is serving, a person who you see in the parking lot on your way out, a person who's sitting next to you. Affirmation and encouragement of the body of Christ is needed more than ever, just like Bible reading. Because we're not going to make it on our own. Solo Christianity, it's a thing of the past. Solo Christians, they're, they're going to disappear when things start heating up in our country we got to come together. we got to think about tomorrow, and we need to start preparing today. Who are you pouring into? Do you have a close friend here at Crossroads? Do you have a disciple? Do you have a mentee? Can you say, this person is my glory, my hope, my joy, my crown. One day when I stand before Christ and I experience what 2 Peter 1 talks about, a rich kingdom welcome, when people come and they gather with me, with you, when we stand before Christ, our reward, our crown is going to be people that we've poured into. If you're not pouring into someone right now, I challenge you to do so. And Crossroads is the best possible church you can do that in as far as I'm concerned. Pastor Kyle Evans shared with us a discipleship pathway a few weeks ago. And this is something that's becoming very important to us. We're trying to build disciples who bring Jesus to our world incrementally and consistently. So we start with being planted in truth, the truth of God's word. We lay the foundation and everything is based on scripture because we have nothing to share apart from God's word. Secondly, we're rooted in community. Remember, there are no solo Christians. We come into community. We join a community group. We plug into a men's or women's Bible study. We volunteer in kids' ministry or in student ministry to be able to have community with those who are serving in the trenches and to be able to be a part of a team where we have coworkers and we're doing the Christian life together. And then lastly, reaching in love. 
The ultimate goal of the Christian life is to glorify God. But a part of glorifying God is not just gathering as a church family, but being sent out on mission outside of our church walls to share the love of Jesus with those who have never heard of him. With those that need to be challenged to believe in him. This process, if you start to plug into it, it'll change your life. It'll change not only your life, it'll change the eternal destiny of people that you will interact with. Building disciples who bring Jesus to our world and our discipleship pathway will be a part of your crown of rejoicing in the eternal state. I want you to just think through your life 10,000 years from now. And that's like a nanosecond in eternity. But 10,000 years from today, what would you wish that your earthly life of perhaps 70 or 80 years, maybe less, what would you want it to have been like? Eons from now, will you wish that you had lived differently? It's easy to get caught up in the trivial and to miss the eternal. And yet God's word and people are ultimately all that matter. And that's what we're going to celebrate at Crossroads. We're going to start today, not tomorrow. We're going to start today and we're going to prepare for our tomorrow today. Will you please pray with me? Father, we just give you thanks and praise for your goodness and your grace. You've offered us salvation as a free gift. It's ours for the taking. You will not pour out your eternal wrath upon us if we simply believe in Jesus Christ. May we do so today. And Lord, may we live a life worthy of our calling if we have a relationship with you. May we be about people and your word. Father, please do a new and a fresh work at Crossroads. Lord, we want to see you reach our community. We want to see you use us to reach the world in various capacities. Grant us grace and may you be honored and glorified. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are in your name. Amen.